Welcome back to the exam room brought to you by the Physicians Committee. The weight loss champion Chuck Carroll here with you. A very exciting show this week. You know, this is something, this information is something that a lot of parents should keep an ear out for. Really digest what it is you're about to hear over the course of the next hour or so. It's something that I wish that I knew growing up and certainly something that I wish my mother also knew growing up. And now we have this wisdom. We're going to pass that along to you. But before we get there, housekeeping notes, please follow the Physicians Committee at PCRM. Like them on Facebook as well. And if you like this podcast... Go ahead, subscribe to it wherever it is that you get your podcast from. Leave us a five-star rating and a nice comment if you would be so kind. And if you're in the following mood, that's at Chuck Carroll WLC for Twitter and Instagram. That's two R's and two L's and Carroll the WLC standing for Weight Loss Champion. Now, that information I was just talking about, it is about healthy vegetarian school lunches. School is now back in session, and what the kids are eating, a lot of times, not the healthiest choice. So how can we clean that up? How can we tackle the growing obesity problem in this country? It starts with what's on their plate, and we start this program today with registered dietitian, nutritionist extraordinaire from the Barnard Medical Center, Susan Levin. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure when you're here. Thanks, Chuck. You are a parent yourself, so this this is something that I'm sure you're keenly interested in as well. Very much so, yeah. My child was vegan from conception, so yeah, a lot of, and now he's three and a half and doing great. I'd love to hear that. You know, um, I, I may have asked you this before on a previous episode, but you're kind of in a routine where this is normal. I think that a lot of parents hearing this is like, wow, vegetarian, no meat, no dairy. Like, how how can I possibly pull this off? But you're in a routine. So real quick before we get going, like, do you still encounter any challenges seeing as though he was vegan since conception? Not the way I hear other parents oftentimes because he has not known differently. I wouldn't go to there's nothing for me at a McDonald's or any other fast food outlet for example so he doesn't have those kinds of cravings um he doesn't know cheese or, or you know but he does he's very well aware of eating sweet potatoes and tofu so again from from you know being in my stomach to nursing to eating solid foods he's only known really healthful foods so to him you know, going off the deep end is having a kale smoothie, and that's fine by me. And every once in a while, because he is in daycare, he will get the taste of something sugary that might be vegan, but where he gets the stimulation of, oh, my gosh, this is a smoothie that actually has sugar in right. it. You know, I have to pull him back from that. So, right. Yeah, well, let's just remember what how sweet fruit is naturally. And um, But it's not that we don't have our challenges, but I would say they're, they're quite different. Well. There are a lot of parents, as we said, that just would be overwhelmed with the idea. But the fact of the matter is, and I don't mean to be on a soapbox, but something has to be done because there is a growing problem of obesity, not just with adults, where it's two out of every three are either overweight or obese in this country now, Mm -hmm. but certainly we're seeing an explosion on that and also with children. Sure. So it's now one out of three every of every child is obese or overweight and more than half of those overweight children are classified as obese. Wow. So that's that's disheartening. Plus you have 
diseases that um, come with being obese, like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and hypertension, high blood pressure, those kinds of statistics are going up um, among children as well. That's alarming. And I would assume that it's maybe, I mean, we're talking about pretty young children here that we're starting to see that with. Sure. I mean, if you really want to get um, depressed, we've heard from researchers who talk about looking at fetuses who have already have heart disease because of their mother's diet. So talk about starting off on a bad foot. But I think what the good news is, is that this is all, this can be overcome with a healthy diet. It's never too late. And certainly, you know, it's crazy that we're even talking about, oh, is it too late if someone's five? And no, absolutely not. It's not too late if someone's 55. So it's it's our it's up to us to put kids on the right track and get them healthy. That's in- incredible to me that a child still in the womb is already starting to develop some of these complications. That that's just amazing. And I would imagine that 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 does carry over after the child's born even while they're nursing because the child's sure. getting what the mother eats. Sure, yeah. So this it, it just goes to show the power of diet and you can you can use it for evil or you could use it for good and I think that's what we try to do at Barnard Medical Center or PCRM we're going to show how we can use the diet to fix all of that or to right. prevent all of that right you talk about hypertension among children I, I've discussed this in the podcast previously but I was either 14 or 15 when I went on high blood pressure medication you know mm-hmm. I was close to 300 pounds at that point mm-hmm. um, and was living off of fast food essentially mm-hmm. and it was nothing for my blood pressure to be 180 190 over 95 somewhere in that ballpark and so um, I will never forget going into the doctor's office that day and this nurse practitioner wasn't even my primary care physician that day it was a nurse practitioner um, put me on beta blockers and I was just furious about it like this is this is an old person's medication and here I am I'm just a teenager what in the world are you talking about right it was a hard dose of reality for me to swallow at that age and honestly I couldn't even wrap my head around it you know I know 60-year-olds who go on those kinds of medications and it takes a toll on them mentally as well. Like, I'm not supposed to be on these types of medications. So you can imagine someone who was your age or any kid being told that they have to go on this drug for the rest of their life. And um, they just don't even have the the context to put that in perspective. And I, I, just, again, I, I think there is a, a point to the mental aspects of all this stuff as well, not just the physical. Mm -hmm. We know the physical, um, but to look into what this means for kids mentally must be devastating. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Uh, And to me, as there are more and more cases like this, like, does it become the new normal then? Does a child actually accept it? Is it more difficult then? Because if Johnny has it and, you know, his friend Stevie has it, is it such a big deal then for Johnny? You know, yeah, I mean, I, I yes, I think that that's another great point. We we start to change the language a little bit, even. I when I this may be more about how old I am versus modern world, but when I was in school, there was no um, it wasn't always called type one and type two. It was childhood onset and adult onset. Right. Adult onset being type two, but because type two is so prevalent among children and it keeps growing in that population. It's just type 2. There's no more adult onset. There's no more childhood onset diabetes. So the language changes, and it does kind of normalize, I think, these conditions where um, we just think this is just how it is. You know, when you're 
when you're 40, yeah, you might have a heart attack. When you're 50, 60, 70, sure, you're going to, when did you have your first heart attack? Like, it just becomes your first. normal, right? Yeah, it just wow. becomes, that's aging. That's part yeah. of aging. And maybe it will start to be a conversation. Well, that's just part of childhood. Yeah, wow. I know that there are a lot of people that would prefer that it not be part of the aging process. Sure. Let's uh, take a trip in that way back machine. You just kind of hinted at it. And uh, I think back to school lunch. Now, I was the furthest thing from being vegan or vegetarian at that point. Wasn't on my radar. Did not want it to be on my radar. Was not ready for it to be on that radar. What now? Hmm? I remember the school lunches. I remember mm-hmm. going through those lines, and there were always uh, burgers, mm-hmm. cheeseburgers, uh, pizza, uh, sometimes chicken uh, sandwiches uh, or chicken nuggets, um, and then uh, French fries every day. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter what they were serving. It could be spaghetti with French fries and then uh, a fruit cup. But the fruit cup was one of those prepackaged ones that are in the heavy syrup. Sure. So there's nothing really healthy there. And then you wash all that down with chocolate milk. Right. Now, at the time, Susan, that sounded to me like fantastic and when it was cheesesteak day, let me tell you something. The, the, the fat kid in me, to this day, will romanticize about cheesesteak <laughs> cheese day with the French fries. In a, in a school cafeteria. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, was, that was the norm. Yeah. It still is the norm, unfortunately. I mean, school lunch trays, reputations um, have not gotten much better, and that's probably uh, – Right, because they still are full of pizza and processed meats and a lot of cheese and dairy, um, a lot of salt, the French fries, cookies, milk. So that is pretty pathetic given how much farther <laughs> we've come in terms of our knowledge about nutrition right. and disease and right. what we know about the statistics among children who are dealing with heart disease and high blood pressure, um, being overweight or obese. So to me, it's it's criminal what we serve kids. Now, there have been some new laws put into place to improve the school lunch, but it has been um, a battle Hmm. to even get that done. Again, as obvious as it might seem to people like us that school lunches should be the pinnacle of health. Yeah. Um, They are not. So there's a lot of pushback on even things like making uh, the, the lunches have lower sodium or lower calorie counts or um, you know more whole grains more fresh fruits more f- fresh vegetables however the, they are they are getting better by law right. although it's slow and even the laws that were put into place in the past um, five ten years have gotten a lot of waivers and a lot of extensions and like well wait a minute we can't meet these sodium restrictions in the next five years we need more time and the government okay you can have more time so there's a lot of um, Good stuff proposed and slow, slow to get there, unfortunately. But, um, but people are aware that these need these changes need to happen. Um, I went through when I was starting to put this podcast together, and I started looking at what are those standards that are currently in place. And I know that there is now pressure as well to try to roll some of this stuff back. You were just referencing sodium. Um, but there are some positives on here. I want to focus on those so people don't think that this is a completely dire situation. Uh, the first thing that you need to know is that as of right now, already, um, without the law fully having to go into place, over 90% of the schools are already in compliance, which means they're stepping up and maybe they already see a problem and they're like, hey, we want to address this ourselves, right. which is fantastic. Right. And they have, they have to be serving 
uh, in presenting these options for more fruits and vegetables, which is great. Right. Uh, speaking of which, uh, let, let's look at that. Um, the schools, and I, I'm quoting this now from the Nutrition Standards for School Meals, schools must offer students fruits and vegetables with every lunch and increase their portion sizes. Vegetable choice at lunch must include weekly offerings of, this is impressive, legumes, dark greens, and red or orange vegetables. Every school breakfast now must offer students a full cup of fruits or vegetables, and students are required to take, required to take, at least one half cup serving of fruits and vegetables with every breakfast and lunch. That's not bad. It's not bad. It's, it's, I think it's a good first step. Um, I think that, you know, overall, because my job is to fight, so I do tend to point out the get in there the negatives. Um, I would like to see, you know, this requirement that that the grains be um, majority whole grain. I would like to see that whole grain not exist underneath a pile of cheese and pepperoni. Sure. Um, so that's you know, I we tend to, or I would I should, maybe I could should say the schools tend to think, well, kids aren't going to eat healthful foods, and they really like chicken nuggets and french fries, so let's just give them chicken nuggets and french fries. Right. Because they are operating um, with a budget like a business. Mm -hmm. And to me, you're not just a business if you're a school. You are fueling America. You are fueling kids. You are setting standards in them about what eating looks like, what it feels like. Um, so there's a higher bar, and I think they should be meeting that bar, not fighting it so much. And and going back to, well, kids are just going to throw it out. They're not going to eat it. They really want this stuff. Let's just give them this stuff. And it's like, no, they're kids. You give them what's good for them. You teach them. And if it takes a lot of marketing and more um, effort, that's our job. That's right. a school's job. Right. Um, it's not just... It's not just a business. Now, uh, when I was a senior in high school, um, again, wasn't ready to be vegan, wasn't ready to be vegetarian. Um, I will commend Fairfax County Public Schools uh, here in northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C., uh, for installing a salad bar in the lunchroom. Mm -hmm. And this would have been 1999. Wow, I'm getting old. So almost 20 years ago, Susan. Oh, boy, that's depressing right there. You want to talk about, you know, school lunches, man. Let's just talk about that's just flat out unacceptable to me. So anyway, that was surprisingly popular sure. um, and it grew in popularity over time. And I would assume that if that choice were available to more students, they, too, would gravitate toward those healthier options. I think that's right. I think. A lot of kids, especially a lot of kids who bring their lunches because they just want more control over what they're eating, mm -hmm. um, they like salad bars because talk about control. You're right. putting what you want on your plate. You're um, more likely to eat what you picked out yourself and put on your plate. So salads and salads themselves, of course, are um, typically full of plants and fiber. So you're getting lettuce and maybe a bean um, and other different different vegetables. And so you're already making a much healthier option than what you might get in the lunch line normally. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if, if more schools could offer fresh 
salad bars, and some schools go above and beyond, right? They, they source local gardens to, to stock those salad bars, right. which must be amazing. Right. I've even heard of a school growing their own vegetables right. and then putting that in the lunch line. Can you imagine? Yeah. So, How great is that? Right. So to have that kind of luxury, um, and, and again, that doesn't happen just in affluent neighborhoods. That happens a lot of inner, in, in inner city schools, but to have the staff that are willing to put that kind of time and energy into focusing on kids learning about healthy eating, participating even in healthy eating, right. experiencing a seed coming to um, literally fruition and eating that. Like that is an investment so so worth making. Um, we touched on the exploding rate of diabetes and hypertension, but one of the things that often gets talked about and definitely not exclusive to children, this is for everyone, is the link between processed meat and other diseases, cancer being really among the most prevalent diseases linked with that. And sure. I would assume that the processed meat being served in the lunch line, no, no exception to the rule there. No, it's, it's not like a nicer processed meat. That's right. And uh, for for years, the, the research for years has shown that processed meat is linked to cancer, and the a the American Institute for Cancer Research came out years ago, more than ten years ago now, saying there's no safe amount of processed meat to consume because of its connection to um, uh, colorectal cancer specifically. And then a couple of years ago, the World Health Organization came out and said actually it's just carcinogenic to humans processed meat. So. It causes, you know, carcinogenic causes cancer. It's right. not a question. It's not an association. It is a cause effect, and it is dose responsive. So that means every, the more you eat, the higher your risk. Um, so to serve that to children in schools is insane to me. It's, sure. It's well, we know this causes. This isn't a question. Nobody's questioning this anymore. Why are you serving this to children? It's. Um, borders on criminal you know so we're talking about diseases and and just things that can happen from eating the food that you just wouldn't wish on your worst enemy but you go to school to learn to get the grades and so i'm wondering maybe you know this has there been any research done on how the classic quote-unquote school lunch uh, affects a student's academic performance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A little bit. Um, then, it, And there's been some good research to show that it does affect um, um, their health and therefore absenteeism. And there's a lot more research, because it's easier to do, on adults and mood and food. Mm -hmm. And yes, people who consume more fruits and vegetables have better mood, less anxiety. So you can imagine in a situation where you're supposed to be studying and learning, right. where less anxiety uh, better mood would be less stress would be a good thing, um, and to flip that around, more meat, more Western style dietary patterns are associated with decreased, um, um, well, more more stress, more anxiety, more depression. So, you know, you definitely want to set kids up better for learning and for getting through school doing well. You don't want to sabotage that. Right. I mean, not to mention when you're giving kids foods that are high in fat or milk, for example, if you have such a high prevalence of lactose intolerance in this country, especially among minority populations, how do you go to class later and try to learn while your stomach <laughs> that's, is That's not pleasant. Right? That's not pleasant for anybody in that room. On any day. Well, no. right. Yeah. So, so how are they supposed to be learning when they're just sitting there, you know, trying to stay out of the bathroom and they're 
from whether just mild stomach discomfort to to straight up diarrhea. Like right. that's that's <laughs> not a great up. That's not a great learning environment either. No, no, man. Okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, not not pleasant at all. But so basically, let me let me just summarize what you just said, and that is, kids, if you've got finals coming up, switch over to a vegetarian or a vegan diet. You're going to do much better. Yeah, You're going to feel better. Lower that anxiety. Lower that anxiety. You owe it to yourself. And parents, make sure that they do it. You know, that's not bad. You know, I wish that I knew that in school. You talk about food and mood. Mm-hmm. I, I, we did that show, as a matter of fact, last week. And um, I was talking about how I miss just insane amounts of time each school year. I mean, I'm talking like months at a clip because I was woefully depressed. And I think that a big part of that, Susan, was based off of what I was eating. Yeah, yeah. And and I think a lot of kids, too, maybe more, not exclusively, but certainly more teenage girls, don't eat at all. Like Mm. they are struggling with, um, you know, maybe not full-on eating disorders, but certainly some sort of uh, discomfort with their body image, and so they don't. Well, I'm not going to eat that lunch. Though so let's say they don't eat at all right. while they're at school. Right. Also, not conducive to learning because our brain functions exclusively on carbohydrate. We need to have that fuel in order to learn at our top-notch capabilities. And if you're skipping meals, if you're eating, you know, crackers that you brought, and you're not in a diet coke, that's not going to help you either. Mm. Yeah, naps and a Diet Coke. Done that before. Really didn't fill up at all. You go to it thinking that you're hungry, and boy, this is going to be great, and it's as if you didn't even touch it. It certainly didn't get any smarter because of it. Um, So if not crackers and Diet Coke, (laughs) if not skipping meals, uh, if not the classic lunch menu with the pizza, the French fries, et cetera, et cetera, what is the ideal school lunch in your eyes? Well, because I usually, unfortunately, I always kind of think about um, – macronutrients i always like fiber if schools if just put more focus on fiber and got away from talking about protein and by the way which teenage boy boys get too much protein in the day yet we still have these minimums on how much protein has to be in a school lunch if we got away from that if we got away from um, even calorie counting if we got away from sodium i'm not saying all those things aren't important but if we started talking about fiber and looked at the complete lack of fiber in a school lunch not to mention the american diet in general then we would be forced to see more fruits vegetables beans and whole grains on a plate so i do like to see kids thinking more about whole foods thinking more about you know if you you don't have to call it fiber just call it whole foods right whole whole plant-based foods so you are choosing those fruits and vegetables that are now available to you you are choosing whole grains and you are choosing beans and but you also have to think about okay but i'm not going to drown it in cheese sure (laughs) i'm not going to put um these sauces and things that are just kind of ranch dressing on a beautiful salad right like things like that try to avoid that still think about the whole food and trying to get as much of that in as possible. Well, how about this you know i remember when i was in school maybe it was the same way for you i don't know Half of the PE course was spent in the classroom, and then the other half was doing sport-like activities. And so we would just rotate semesters. Um, Wouldn't it be great if one of those semesters, or at least for a few weeks anyway, were devoted to nutrition? Oh, yeah. Uh, imagine, Imagine the world of good that would do. Right. Yeah, to me that's thinking about 
what are the problems we're actually having in the in the world or you mm-hmm. could localize it what are the problems that are having we're having in the United States right now yeah we set people up to get into we try to set them up to get into college or you know a lot of kids go off and do vocational things but we're all we're always thinking about your career and what you need to have a good career to make money and I'm not saying that's not important um, certainly an element should be also about what you need to do in life to be happy but what about what you need to do in life to be healthy right if we are dying of diseases that are preventable from what we're eating why isn't the school focusing on that that to me seems like setting people up for success setting kids up for success would mean they have their health under control right it seems maybe even like the most important thing what good is having a job um if you are dying um if you are on uh, so many medications that you don't feel like you can enjoy your life you're prolonging your life but you're not prolonging or you're not improving the quality of your life that is that to me is such a missed boat and even just even if someone said no we're never going to have a health or nutrition class in school then you've got to use that lunch tray then the lunch tray is the class make the lunch tray the lesson and right now the lesson is eat a bunch of crap and, right and that's what we're doing and that's why we're dying well the thing is i think that it's only fair for somebody to have that complete understanding whether or not they choose then to adopt a whole food plant-based diet or a plant-based diet a vegetarian diet whatever a healthier diet mm-hmm. that's on them but i feel like we all deserve to at least have that knowledge equip ourselves with that knowledge so that we then can make the best decision that we feel is for us. Yeah. Because if you're going through that lunch line or any lunch line, you go as an adult to a restaurant during your your lunch break, you deserve to have that knowledge to make better decisions. Yeah. It's like it seems like a human right. Like why would you hide the ball? <laughs> why wouldn't you tell people what works? Right um, there. And, then, and then give them the best and let them decide. So let's say that a parent is listening to this, and hopefully they are, um, and they're like, hey, I want to explore this for my child. We're not there right now. The diet consists of pizza and Doritos and burgers and all of that stuff. But I want to explore this. What is your advice Mm -hmm. on helping them switch? Yeah, so I would look at your week, month, whatever, worth of menu items and see, is there anything on there that's already pretty healthy? So maybe my kids like um, bean burritos or they like um, uh, bean chili. So you've already got something on the menu that kids like and it's pretty healthy, like Mm -hmm. it's vegetarian, maybe even completely vegan. So do that more. Um, If there are other things that are almost there, so maybe they like spaghetti with meatballs, great. Do spaghetti with marinara sauce and vegetables do something kind of like that but you're moving more towards plant-based so putting that more into the menu and and kind of backing off on the chicken nuggets and um the fish sticks and and the pepperoni pizzas and putting more of the healthful foods in there i also really think it's a good idea to get kids involved so don't just make it well here's what i'm going to start putting in front of my kid but just like these schools who have success with gardens you take your kid to the grocery store and you say what do you want to buy hopefully the school is doing something right so the kid comes home with some awareness of healthful eating and how plants grow and want to get involved and they even come home and say hey we're growing okra in our garden at school can we get some okra 
this has happened. Um, That's the southern in you coming I up. know, okra. I love it. I know. Um, and then take them to the store and be like, pick out five fruits or vegetables that you've never had before, and let's go home and figure out how to cook them. You give them a basket. They load it up. You take it home. They're invested mm-hmm. in it. So you come up with an idea together, and then you sort of learn maybe together. Even you learn to love a new vegetable, a new fruit. And I think that helps expand the palate as well, giving them some sort of responsibility. And I would think that if they're picking it out, they would gravitate toward the more colorful fruits. And that means that they're going to get a wider variety of nutrients um, True enough. And so True that's enough. that's pretty cool right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to continue backpedaling from fish sticks and chicken nuggets in just a little bit. Uh, we're going to come back in just a bit. We're going to talk about recipes, easy things that parents can do with their children. Completely vegetarian recipes will knock your socks off if you're thinking about making that switch. And, hey, if you're already vegan or vegetarian, you're going to like these things anyway. Guaranteed. Uh, but first we're going to talk to uh, Ja Chu, who is uh, – Somebody who works here at the Physicians Committee, and he is just an incredible, extraordinary human being. Uh, He spends the bulk of his time in China, where he has literally become a rock star because he is bringing that knowledge about plant-based diets to that country. He goes and he has this group that go on these incredibly long bike rides across that country and they give lectures and they talk about this and they just educate people along the way. And with that, he winds up talking to tens of thousands of people at a time about cleaning up their diet. It's extraordinary. Had a chance to speak with him. Here's our conversation right now. This is the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee, still ICNM 18 edition right here, Washington, D.C. Huge conference all about preventative medicine through nutrition. Now, we've talked to people from the U.S., quite a, quite a few of them, dozens. Just love them. They're all so smart. But we're bringing on a gentleman now who works with the Physicians Committee who is taking the message and the power of plant-based diets all the way to China. And so with that, we welcome Dr. Jia Ju Hi, everybody. to the show. Hi, hi, hey, there you go. Hi. Hey, he's friendly. Um, I, I should tell you, really, before we get going, that uh, this guy, kind of a big deal in China. You've got a huge following over there, don't you? Well, I mean, for the size of China and the number of people over there, it's a small following. No, don't be <laughs> humble. Don't be humble. I've been told that tens of thousands of people yeah, turn out about, for your presentation. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much about the same. Uh, about right. Yeah. So talk to me about the interest in, in the plant-based diet in China. It's, it's growing in popularity in the U.S. Is it doing the same in, in China? Uh, it is growing in popularity over there as well, slowly. Slowly? Yeah. Um, do you find, because in the U.S., there are many people who are very dismissive of the idea of a whole food plant-based diet or even just a, a vegan diet in general. Um, and that's because, you know, so much processed food and fast right. food and dairy and meat. How does the average diet in China differ? And does that help in terms of people being more receptive to the idea of a plant-based diet? Yeah, I know you want to say more receptive, but I wouldn't. I would say probably. I don't know. I would say probably the same. 
Uh, so people are less uh, less recept- recept- receptive to plant-based ideas than like 30 years ago, when you know the country was pretty much eating the the power plate. You mm. know, uh, before no, 35 years, like before 1980s. Yeah. So at that time, if we say want to eat meat, they have coupons, uh, monthly coupons. So everybody are restricted to buy uh, like less than half a pound of meat mm-hmm. every month. So if you want to eat more, no more. Uh, and they, they even have coupons for oil. So they are limited in oil as well. So we are basically low-fat, uh, low plant-based diet almost. Right, right, right. Uh, and uh, so in different regions, uh, they even have less. So like I was born in Beijing, so we have half a pound per month. But in, in the countryside, probably you're only limited uh, to, to eat meat maybe during festivals during you know during uh, new year yeah. Chinese new year okay yeah. but now uh, as they become more uh, economically developed mm-hmm. developed and people are richer and they be, uh, they started to eat more meat so um, so i so i think to my experience over there i think people are still uh, uh, bathing the idea of uh, basically meat is essential uh, so, uh, so it starts at a half a pound a month 35 years ago. How much do you think the average person is eating today now that there's a little bit right. better economics? I don't remember the, the, the exact number per person, but I know the overall uh, the country consumes about, uh, I think it's uh, 700, let me calculate. <laughs> yeah, 70 million It's okay. Let me calculate. It's okay. Take yes. your time. You should see that if you're just listening to the audio, yeah. he's he's got the hand calculator. This is impressive. Right. So it's like seven, seven, seven hundred thousand. Uh, no, it's seventy million tons of. No, it's seventy million kilograms. Kilograms. Okay. Of tons, whichever. I, right. I, I think it's like a hundred. Fold different, a thousand right. fold different, but either it's seventy thousand kilograms or seventy thousand pounds, right? Seventy thousand kilograms. No, it's all right. So you know, seventy million kilograms per year. Okay, that's a lot of meat. Seventy that's, million kilograms. That's the whole. That, that's the whole country. Yeah, that's a lot more than what it was. Yeah. So back back in the day, before no, people started seventy thousand pounds. Yeah, tons. Tons. Right. So, 70 million tons per but, year. But before, okay. before people started eating more meat, what was the typical diet? Right. The typical diet was like a uh, main food. It's like a rice or uh, the steamed buns mm-hmm. uh, or some uh, uh, pancakes uh, that's as uh, staples. And also they have uh, vegetables, a lot of vegetables. Not, not as much fruits, but uh, they do eat fruits. Uh, they don't eat dairy. And uh, and uh, legumes, uh, tofu, mm-hmm. and you know those are typical Chinese diet. Yeah. And what have you noticed in the past three and a half decades as far as the prevalence of chronic disease? Now that people are right. eating more meat, for example, diabetes increased from uh, 0.7 percent to 12 percent uh, mm. right now. So it's almost the same as uh, U.S. now. Uh, about uh, I think there's a statistics like uh, one third of the diabetes uh, patients are in China, 
and that is, I think, uh, maybe even a under underestimate. Uh, so I think right now, almost every year they have new estimate. I think the the the, the, the closest estimate, the last estimate, was about twelve point something right. percent. Right. And on top of that, there is about fifty percent diabe- uh, pre-diabetic rate in the adult population in China. So that's diabetes. So, for example, uh, heart disease or heart cardiovascular disease accounts for about forty-five percent of all mortality. Uh, in in China, wow, uh, so, uh, that uh, inc- uh, that includes heart disease and cerebral uh, uh, vascular diseases, right, right. and cancer death rate uh, account for about one quarter of the China's uh, mortality. Wow, yeah, and that's a great deal more than thirty five years ago. Yeah, right now the total non communicable uh, non communicable diseases account for about eighty eighty six percent. So country. You see those numbers rise, and now there seems to be an increased interest then in the plant-based diet yeah. over there. Obviously, if you're you're drawing the crowds that you do, um, why why do you think that is? Is it kind of like here in the, in in the United States where people are learning more and more about the benefits of this, and they're seeing the research? Yeah. Is it the same deal in China? Well, uh, we're trying to spread the news. We're trying to tell them the research. But over there, uh, I think the medical and uh, nutrition community are not as receptive to the plant-based idea. But uh, the fact that uh, the, uh, they are building more hospitals and there are more and more patients, uh, the, the, fact, the fact is telling them that w- what's going on is not right. So the, in, in theory, the more hospital we have, the less patient we should have. Right. right? So, but it's the opposite. And uh, and they cannot even uh, cure a single patient, mm-hmm. you know, of uh, diabetes or, or so. Basically, if you have diabetes, you are on the drug for a whole life, and right. then you die of diabetes. So this is very uncom- uh, uncommon situation. It's right. not right situation, right? Uh, weird situation. So they, I think, they are sort of uh, start slowly waking up to this type of situation. They know hospitals are not helping them uh, so they need to find alternative they need to find out how to uh, survive better themselves now we've over the course of the weekend have heard just some incredible success stories here i'm sure that there are a number of people in china who have also adopted the oh, plant-based yeah. diet who may have had diabetes or heart disease and completely reversed it yeah, or at least many, better yeah many uh, i have seen cancer patients i've been a lot of diabetes patients i have seen uh, heart disease reversed i have seen uh, like uh, the thyroid disease uh, reversed many really many uh, so as long as you are on the right diet you're basically on the uh, on the right road mm-hmm. so Talk to me. I want to ask you kind of a fun question. You know, here in the U.S., we're used to the, the typical vegetables, you know, cucumber, spinach, kale, lettuce, tomato, et cetera, et cetera. What vegetables are available in China that you can't necessarily get here in the U.S.? Uh, bitter melon, maybe. But you can get bitter melon here, but most people don't eat them. Uh, but they eat some uh, some of the green vegetables. Uh, I can't tell the name. Right. That is different from here. Okay. For example, here we like uh, uh, kale. Uh huh. Different kind of kales. But over there, they may have some different type of. I don't know what it's called. Uh, it's like a 
Spanish or say, say it in Chinese, you know. Uh, I think it was translated into like a uh, uh, feather, feather vegetable, something okay. like that. Okay. <laughs> but it's green, yeah, leafy greens. So. so that seems to be a common theme then. Yeah, but it's pretty much the same. I will say, you know, over oh. there and and they, they eggplant, tomatoes, you know, uh, potatoes. Yeah, it's the same. I want to ask you a question that, uh, you know, I've always been curious about. You hear people here who who go to a Chinese restaurant, and you also hear that the Chinese food being served here is not like the Chinese right. food, the authentic Chinese food. How does it differ? Okay, uh, yeah. So uh, over there, the competition is more is more fierce. So uh, because everybody has a good uh, culinary uh, art themselves, so they are competing with a high, high standard. But here, the Chinese, almost everybody, every Chinese can go out and cook Chinese food. And right. they can open a Chinese restaurant. So that's the difference. Right. So over there, you, you need to have even more excellency in terms of taste, in terms of presentation of your food. Uh, so you probably will get better uh, tasty Chinese food over there. Is it is it a little bit cleaner? Because I think that the typical Chinese food menu here um, has a lot of fried food on it and yeah. food cooked with a lot of oil. Is it is it different in China? No different. No. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Chi- yeah, Chinese they they use a lot of oil. Even vegan vegan Chinese uh, right. restaurants even they use a lot of oil. Okay. Um, I want to ask you, you talked earlier about spreading the message and getting that out there. One of the things that I thought was very interesting that you do is you did a bike ride across yeah. the country, something like 2,300 miles or something like that? Yeah, I don't know how, how it translates. It's, uh, it's uh, 5,000 kilometers. Yeah, yeah, that's a long way. T- talk to me about that bike ride. Right. So last year, a group of us, about uh, we had 18 bikes. Uh, a group of us with uh, some, you know, supporting vehicles. So we rode from. We started from Shanghai uh, to the very, uh, the very east of China, mm-hmm. all across China to the very uh, west of China, uh, which is Lhasa, Tibetan. Uh, it's a Tibetan capital. Capital. Mm-hmm. So basically, the, the total journey is about uh, 5,000 kilometers. Uh, I participated about maybe 60% of the trip because uh, the last trip I cannot get in. I cannot get in Tibet, so I stopped at the border. Right. And in between, I went out to do a lecture for uh, one small segment. So basically, I pretty much uh, participated the whole other segments. Mm-hmm. So it was really a. I think it's a really a good way to promote vegan uh, veganism uh, across China uh, because. Go ahead. Right, because I think uh, people are are pulled to these kind of uh, news-worthy events, uh, so uh, they they in, they want to know what's going on, and uh, we we wear very uh, good uniform uniforms, and it's uh, it's also uncommon for a group of people to 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 ride this far, so uh, so we did generate a lot of uh, news. But last year the goal was really to uh, was really to reach Lhasa. Right. Not not to uh, promotion to, to do the promotion, but we're uh, we're doing it again. And this year, uh, this time is going to be uh, a lot of uh, promotion over there. I think the last year the 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 most uh, imp- uh, the the, uh, the the thing that make me uh, impressed me most was really the uh, 
really the, the the high altitude. So basically, we have to go from zero altitude to uh, like five thousand uh, five kilometer in in yeah. height. It's five thousand meters in height. Uh, so we actually uh, went through several of them. Uh, my my personally myself went to at least one or two of them uh, before they reached the uh, the uh, the uh, the Tibetan plateau. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so at that time, uh, so at very high altitude, you will have probably about sixty percent of the oxygen you right. have here. Uh, so you basically your body will compensate for you know hyperventilation, and then you'll have alkalosis. Basically, your uh, your you you expire all the uh, all the uh, CO two out, and right. then basically you become alka- uh, alkaline. So they, then you will have like headaches and all that, <laughs> right? But uh, so what happens is that our we vegans uh, are. are more, uh, how can I say, uh, easy, uh, more e- uh, uh, easier in in terms of adaptation to this type of uh, situation right. because we mostly eat uh, alkaline diet. Oh, yeah. So okay. our body are used to this. So if, when you go go to that situation, then your body uh, will adjust to it very uh, much uh, much faster. But uh, the meat eaters, uh, they will they are more likely to have uh, altitude sickness. Interesting. In that aspect, another thing is that if we eat a lot of salad, a lot of vegetables, and they have a lot of nitrates, and the nitrates will basically uh, be converted into nitrite, and then uh, uh, the uh, nit- uh, nitric oxide, mm-hmm. and then eventually it will, it will actually uh, reduce your leak uh, respi- uh, re- uh, respiration, you know, yeah. the cellular level, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then basically that will increase your uh, oxygen uh, usage. Uh, so basically, you you basically you you have advantage over the meat eaters. Wow! So 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 this actually works out. Uh, so we can clearly see the difference uh, between us and those other people who also cycle to Tibet sure. uh, on a on a meat diet. So, uh, a lot of athletes. Then you mentioned that it kind of makes me wonder. Uh, we're seeing an increasing number of athletes here turn to a plant-based diet yeah. are you seeing the same in china more athletes going that no that route? they they are uh, actually they are sort of uh, they, they are not aware of the situation so i think in uh, olympics uh, uh, most uh, western uh, athletes they are safe they drink uh, like the be- uh, root beer mm-hmm. i know what sorry that was a uh, the beetroot juice, right? Right. They they blend it up and they drink. But I don't see Chinese uh, athletes do that. But so I think they're sort of uh, like ten years behind or twenty years right. behind on that. Room yeah. for improvement. And yeah. the last question that I have for you is, on these journeys, and you said you're you're wearing you know bright colored clothes, and you're you know seeing that you have people come up and what are you doing and and yeah. Give them information. Well, yeah, we 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 printed out uh, the, the flyers and we give uh, give it to them. And we sometimes we uh, we have to stop by. There's no vegan restaurant, res- vegetarian vegetarian restaurant. So we'll stop by any restaurant. We ask the permission to use their kitchen, mm. and then we'll cook over there. And then during this the process, they they get curious. Uh, they they get they get uh, curious. Yeah. Say, oh, so how how to cook a vegan? vegan meal so I think that's a, a another way of, uh, of promoting this and also we get interviewed by televisions mm-hmm. and by news media uh, so I think that uh, those are the uh, the ways we do so this year uh, we're going to do a, uh, heavily online say we do a lot of uh, Weibo you know social media promotion 
and also some uh, BBS, you know, right, right, kind of. Uh, right. Weibo, if if you're unfamiliar, that's that's like the Twitter yeah. of China, right? That's right. All right. Well, I think that the work that you're doing is fascinating. Yeah, and, I enjoy uh, it. I, I would love to come over there and at least do a portion of that bike ride with you. That sounds like a lot of fun. Actually, I'm going back next week uh, to to do this year's. Okay. So they are already on the road, so okay. I'll join them in the middle. Okay. So, but this year we are going to take another route, a different route. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, safe travels, my friend. Yeah. Thank you, Doctor Jia Zhu, here on the exam room, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. <laughs> Told you. Just an extraordinary human being. I could spend hours talking with Ja. He is just he a rock star in China. He's a rock star in this office when he's here. Not here often. Spends the majority of his time over there. But uh, when he is here, man, I'm telling you, the charisma that this guy just oozes is incredible. And he's passionate about it. So you can tell that he genuinely cares about what it is that he is doing. My hat is off to you, Ja. Welcome back to the show, Susan Levin. Thank you so much. We are talking about healthy vegetarian school lunches um, for kids because, as we mentioned earlier in the program, um, what they're still serving in the lunch lines is uh, not exactly ideal. There's a lot of room for improvement. Mm -hmm. And so we left off kind of saying, well, here's some tips for making the switch. And now let's talk about some things that you can whip up in the kitchen after you've made that switch. Yes. So I'm sure that as a vegan mother yourself, you, you spend quite a bit of time in the kitchen cooking. I do. I do. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. I don't have a lot of time. So what I do in the kitchen um, better be good because I only have one shot. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going back. Um, so, yeah, I've definitely – now my child's only three and a half, so he's not – you know, flipping the pancakes yet, but right. but I can tell you what he likes and what I see a lot of kids really like to do, whether even in a restaurant for that matter, but um, they like to build things. They mm -hmm. like to be a part of the construction of the meal. And I think that's why kids like so much when you're at home making pizza. Um, and you don't have to roll dough. You can make pizza out of bagels. You can make pizza with pita bread. Um, just get your marinara sauce and your favorite veggies and throw them on there. Um, you can roll up wraps, veggies in a blanket. Uh, you could use hummus or avocado or whatever your your kid enjoys. Um, but he or she gets to build the wrap and roll it up and gets to be a part of the construction of, of the project. Well, let me tell you something. Learning how to roll a burrito or a blanket in this case, uh, that is a lifelong skill that will pay pay dividends over time let me tell you something if you can roll a good burrito you will have many friends right so so job skills friend skills right um and then you there's also just classic foods that maybe your child is more familiar with and they're pretty easy to make so soups chilies um it, it can be fun you can find pasta that looks like shapes like letters you can make classic alphabet soup and make mm -hmm. it healthier mm -hmm. um if your kid loves french fries no problem you can make wedges sweet potato wedges regular potato wedges bake them in the oven much healthier than deep frying french fries still just as good when you dip them in a, in a healthy sauce um smoothies here's what i love about smoothies smoothies are the ultimate disguise for healthy food so yes <laughs> you can do your fruit smoothie but I always recommend throw in a leaf or two of kale. They will never know. You can throw in, um, depending on the size of the smoothie, smoothie 
half a cup, a third a cup, whatever, of drained white beans. Mm. They will never know. You can throw in even oats and blend it really, really well. They will never know. Right. So it's just a way of getting the some foods that maybe your kids maybe aren't excited about eating yet um, into something that they drink pretty pretty readily. So smoothies can be a good trick. Let me tell you something. I don't have any children, but I I have used that trick on my mother-in-law who uh, puts her foot down. I don't like vegetables. Okay. She likes my brownie smoothie, which Uh. happens to have kale and black beans in it, and she has no clue. And every time I'm down there, will you please make this for me? Wow. I got you covered, Shelby. Does she she listen to the show? She does not. And that's why I can (laughs) disclose that right here. So please, nobody dime me out. Nobody tell Shelby. (laughs) Um, You know, but uh, real quick before we we put a a cap on these recipes, like I want to talk about how easy, especially this veggies in a blanket. We talked about rolling and and Mm -hmm. that skill kind of jokingly, but... We have this incredible, just wonderful booklet that's available for download on PCRM.org, uh, Nutrition for Kids, that booklet, which I know that you were intimately involved in, in putting this thing together. Yeah, it's amazing. The recipe for veggies in a blanket is so simple to me. I'm just looking at this list of ingredients. Of course, you've got the tortillas to wrap it, but then you've got a half a cup of hummus, just some grated carrots, a little bit of lettuce or maybe spinach leaves, which uh, has a little bit uh, more nutritional value to it, and then uh, some sprouts. And so that sounds really good to me, and it's going to have some crunch to it mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. you know? And and that's something I think that a kid, maybe not at three and a half, but certainly sooner rather than later could have a lot of fun putting together with mom in the kitchen. Oh, they love it. And then it's pretty, you know. It's not something brown or something. It's really pretty. So I think that that plays into it too. Absolutely. Yeah. We talked earlier in the show about the kid choosing the produce right. at the store. So what if you put that produce in the wrap yeah. with a little bit of hummus? Huh? Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, you could do red peppers in that. You. Could, I mean, there's so many different ways to make a, a veggie wrap and, and let the kid decide what yeah. you're going to put here. And yeah. you'd be amazed at what they'll eat because they made. It was their idea. Even if they're like, I wish I hadn't said I was yeah, going right, to do this, but right. they'll do it because like, yep, yep, this is really good. I'm really enjoying um, this squash in my wrap. It's like, really? But, you know, they committed and they, they will eat it. You know, that kind of makes me wonder what a parent would do if they told their kid to do that, go have fun in the produce section. What would the parent do if they brought something wacky back to the cart like jackfruit? Just because it looks so bizarre, it's like... You got to buy it. I, you you got to buy it. And you got to Google what to do with jackfruit. I know. Good uh, luck. Uh, that's actually pretty versatile. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you ever have barbecue jackfruit? I have. Man. That's amazing. That is some good living of, right who there. Who came up with that? Genius. Uh, we also have on the website uh, recipes for school districts who are interested in exploring more plant-based options for students. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about some serious recipes. Like, these are econo-sized recipes right. made to feed an army. And they're really good, I think. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they kind of fit in line with what's already on the school lunch line. Yeah. Um, they're just healthier versions. Right. Very perceptive because they have to f- meet certain qualifications to be um, to be able to use in school lunch lines. So we came up with some recipes that are industrial size that we have tested and are actually used in school districts around the country that kids like. 
So it's not just what we think they should like, but we have tested out the, the chili, the, the pasta. We've had burger, or veggie burgers, bean mm-hmm. burgers that kids like. So we've definitely tailored this to what they want, but also so it meets the school's needs. They're realistic in terms of what you're buying um, and what, what you can make in a kitchen. And, yeah, they're good. And, I, I mean, these recipes, I use these recipes for hospitals that right. have outreach. Right. What can we do? Or, or soup kitchens. Well, we would like to serve a plant-based option. Great. We have tried and true recipes right here that are um, huge right. <laughs> and ready to serve hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Well, they're not just tasty. I mean, these are award winners. I'm looking at this mm. one particular chili recipe. It's a Golden Carrot Award winner, uh, I guess, submitted by D.C. Central Kitchen here. Yeah, they won the Golden Carrot a couple of years ago because they do serve um, meal, put together and take to schools these meals that the, the schools in turn serve to to kids all across um, the District of Columbia. I would imagine that the kids would gravitate to this. And then uh, we, we have a bolognese kind of pasta thing happening here. Mm-hmm. Again, like I said at the top, spaghetti uh, that, that rotated in and out of the lunch line for me as well. So that would be a good fit. Yeah, not kids are not um, confused by what it is, and, and they love it. So so perfect. Why not serve it? Yeah. So all of that information, along with tips for parents who are interested in exploring, maybe making that transition full time for their children over to a plant-based diet, PCRM.org, or uh, better yet, HealthySchoolLunches.org is uh, is the web address for that. Um, so fire that up. Go download the booklet. Tons of ideas, tips, recipes, more than we could possibly ever discuss on this one show. Um, just a wealth of information there. And uh, very, very well done putting that together, Susan. Uh, Oh, thank you. Proud to know you. Um, As I just dropped my pen. Uh, Here's the cool thing also. You're not just a a podcast rock star. You're uh, also uh, working upstairs at the Barnard Medical Center. If people are interested in coming in and and having a little chat with you about their own health, they can do that. Yeah, and I I certainly do a lot of talking about with patients, um, adult patients. I talk about their kids and what they can be doing for their kids as well. That's a, that's a great idea. You ever had parents come in with their children and, and try to set up a plan? I've had parents come in with children in their bellies. I've had parents come in just to talk about talk about their kids because they are concerned. And it is, you know, diet change is a, is a family event. Right. So it is relevant. Right. All right, good advice there. BarnardMedical.org is uh, where you need to go to do that. Uh, helps if you're in the greater Washington, D.C. area. Um, and I guess that's about it for uh, for the show. So uh, many thanks to uh, Jia Zhu for uh, stopping by. Again, check him out. Look him up, PCRM.org. Just Google him. Uh, he is just – his story is one that should honestly be made into a movie. What this guy is doing is, is just re- – ridiculously incredible. And of course, Susan Levin, thank you very much for stopping by. Thank you, Jack. And you, you fine listener, listen, before we go, here's what I need for you to do. Wherever it is that you're listening to this, whether it be Apple Podcast or maybe you're streaming this on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is, there's a little subscribe button. I need for you right now to go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get every episode each and every week more great information for you that we put out for the exam room here every single week. Uh, And, of course, check us out, pcrm.org. And, oh, by the way, when you're subscribing, please leave a five-star rating for us and a nice review if you would be so kind. So for Susan Levin, for Jodhshu, I'm the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. This has been The Exam Room brought to you by the Physicians Committee. 